Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you about another great ESPN podcast, The C.J. McCollum Show, where every week, New Orleans Pelican star C.J. McCollum discusses names and storylines in and around the NBA playoffs with inside perspective you can only get from someone in the locker room and on the floor. That's The C.J. McCollum Show. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. It is that time of week where we have a guest join us. Check her out all over ESPN talking all kinds of basketball. The one-armed bandit, Monica McNutt. Monica, what's going on? Hey, Bo, it's good to be back. I um, We're in the throes of my season. It's my time to shine. Woo! <laughs> I know, but see, the irony of it for us, and we're going to get to a lot of playoff talk in a second, is the problem is that since it's your time, it thereby becomes far more difficult for to get you on the right time because you're so busy all over the place doing a little of this, doing a little of that. I appreciate your persistence and shout out to our producers that we were able to make this happen because yes. I have, I, it's been sad nose except the one time I was on vacation and I was like, nah, sorry y'all. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you'd earned that one. I feel like that was right after the women's tournament. Exactly. And you were like, yep. look, like normally we get to break at the end of all the madness. You was like, nah, I need this right here in between. Because I know what's coming, bro. You know, you know how it goes. <laughs> Personal boundaries, preparation, all that good stuff. <laughs> well, it's different for you, too, because, like, you also work for MSG, and the Knicks are actually, mm-hmm. like, passably good. So you've had to, like, really, like, do stuff for both jobs. I like how you still slide in that little bit of shade. They are more than passively, Bo. They rolling this year. Hold on, hold on. It's not shade. And I feel like now you've been working there too long. Because Knicks fans. Yeah, if I say, because that's like you already there, right? You already there. Like, you didn't grow up a Knicks fan, did you? I know you're from uh, PG. I am from PG. The Wizards are still my home team. We're going to get that together. But (laughs) it's contagious, Bo. And I always have to shout out Knicks fans. They have shown me so much love here in the city. I remember saying to my mom, like, mom, these people calling my name like they know me. She's like, well, if you were in New York, they would let you know if they didn't like you either. So to get chance outside the window of our studio of my name, <laughs> I'm in tears. I'm honored. Thank you, <laughs> But, yo, you make a good point about the Knicks fans being contagious because I've lived here for six years. The only two mm-hmm. years that this was really worth discussing were 2021 and this one. And so I think you probably experienced something similar that I did, which is when you're not from here, the Knicks fans you meet are just wildly annoying, right? Like they're the only ones that you get. But when you're here, yeah, there's a like pure sort of affection for the Knicks that is mm-hmm. different than anything I've really been around. Because look, I've been here all these years. I've been here for five years and I went to the garden for the first time because I just wasn't paying Knicks prices for them games. Like, you know, you, you, you get in on a different kind of plug, right? I tend right. not to want to get credentials if I'm not going to work. So if mm-hmm. I'm just going there to be there, I'm inclined to buy tickets and it costs too much money. But uh, the homie Roy Wood had to plug through Viacom and so we had them good seats. It was Knicks Hornets in, I want to say, October Mm-hmm. maybe November, and I've said it all here before, it was like watching a game with 20,000 people who had money on it. I've, I've, just never, I've just never seen people more invested in a regular season basketball game. I think this group, to me, the loyalty stands out, and even some of the very, I feel like dramatic has a negative connotation, but the expressive fans, even if you don't agree, and like they're sort of extreme, um, for the most part, the fan base is smart, right? Like, however they got to their rationale, I can follow it. I might not agree at the final with the final destination, but I really enjoyed being a part of this fan base. Again, they've shown me mad love. Yeah, and Stephen A. Smith makes an interesting point about Philadelphia that I think also applies to New York, which is in Philadelphia, they don't require you win a championship. They require that you play hard. Like, if you go hard, they can live with whatever comes on the back end of it. And thank goodness they ain't seen a championship there in 40 years. Now, of course, the Knicks have not seen a championship in 50, but I feel like it's the same dynamic, though. Like, this is a squad that goes hard. So even last night, where I think most of us felt like they should have walked over Miami without Jimmy Butler and Miami made a game of it the whole way. The boys were going hard. Like, they, the Knicks weren't necessarily playing as well as they should have. But they go hard, and the go hard part seems to matter more than in some other places where it'd be like, yo, how come y'all only won by six points or whatever the total was? I do wonder what the runway is on that, though, right? Like, if you argue that Jalen Brunson, that's not an argument. It is a fact. He's a foundational 
piece for the next, what do you get, four years? So the next yeah. three seasons, um, will the bar move, right? Like, I have enjoyed the discourse about the whole Donovan Mitchell thing. I think most fans are cool with where this team currently stands outside of, outside of Stephen A., I guess. Uh, but I am curious about how much grace you have in terms of going hard is good enough versus this team starting to really turn a corner and be considered, I don't think it's this year, although they, there is clearly a path to the Eastern Conference Finals, but being considered a contender. Well, let me tell you what I think the dilemma is going to be for them. There's but so far you can go with Jalen Brunson as your best player. Like, I'm with you on that, where it becomes the question of, like, what happens when people get up and realize that? Small guard. It would have been the same issue with Donovan Mitchell, for whatever it's worth, mm -hmm. right? Like, I think Cleveland's problem was their big men are skinny and their guards are too short, right? You got mm -hmm. two six two guards, two skinny big men, and the Knicks just muscled them around. But when you've got a small guard that's asked to do as much as Jalen Brunson is, there's typically a ceiling on that. But there aren't that many players that are better than Jalen Brunson. And if you get a player than Jalen Brunson, you're going to have to pay him way more than Jalen Brunson because the other side of this wild, great season, Jalen Brunson, Jalen Brunson turned underpaid after three games. A hundred percent. And we know the NBA. We, we mm -hmm. know how cats are about this kind of situation. I mean, you could argue that well, they got to sign Josh, right? Like Josh's deal could flirt with, I don't think it will be what Jalen got, but Josh's I mean, in terms of his value, he's easily a 15 mil a year guy, right? And that could get pushed because whatever, because of negotiations, right? Like, it's not his fault that Jalen got a bargain deal. And so I, I, it's going to be interesting to see. I think that Jalen can still be your smartest, most cerebral guy on the floor just because he has a tremendous command. But I'm kind of inclined with you. If you're going to take that jump to contender in a real way, you need the signature, prototype, shoot, score at all three levels, can rebound, physical kind of guy. And I don't currently construct it. The Knicks don't have a single guy like that. They've been able to do it together uh, as a team. And I feel like Julius Randle is a lesser version of all those things that you described. Like, he's the guy that's closest to being able to give you all of those things. And that's he's the Jalen Brunson before Jalen Brunson, right? Super happy about mm -hmm. him. And then you look up and be like, ah, but he can't be the best player on your team. Yeah, I, I just, when I look at this group, they are what everybody loves, a prototypical 3 and D kind of guy away. Like, just hear me out. Like a Mikael Bridges, which yeah. every team in the league would love to get their hands on Mikael Bridges. We know Memphis tried very, very hard to bring him to their organization. But th there's just a missing piece in terms of athleticism, quick twitch with this roster. Now, kudos to Tibbs, kudos to Brunson, Randall. They have made it work as constructed. And I, like I said, I think that this squad should beat the Miami Heat based on depth and the way that they've played this particular season. But as it stands, if everybody's on the floor that's available, Jimmy Butler, to me, is still the best player in this series, period. Yo, that was the thing I was about to say is, I, I think, in a way, Jimmy's almost gotten a bad rap this postseason because so much has come up about, oh, playoff Jimmy is different. Regular Jimmy is really good, too. Like, he just hasn't mm -hmm. played a lot of games since he's gotten to Miami. But I want to say Jimmy was something like second in win shares for 48 minutes this year. Like, mm -hmm. you go back and look at the advanced numbers. He has brought it. However, like, nobody is as good all the time as he was in that series against Ooh. Milwaukee. And then mm. he brought it back in there um, in game one. And I am here to send a shout out to the guys that still get this done making two-pointers. Not everybody has to shoot this from the parking lot. And Jimmy's got that, I'm going to go get this bucket. How about yeah. that? Yeah. I, I mean, and that's just a dude that's cut from a different type of cloth. We've got, you look at your all-star lists, whatever, your all-NBA team, whatever you want. Yes, those represent the upper echelon of guys. But there's something so gritty about Jimmy's story, right? Like, Texas, faxing his letter of intent from McDonald's to Marquette, like grinding it all the way through, leaving different organizations and just wanting his people to be happy. It's something really special about Jimmy. But let me ask you this, Bo. Just on our playoff experience as a whole to this point, the 56 or the 50 by Curry? More impressive. Uh, Why? The 50. I, I take the 56. Okay, I uh, know I wasn't crazy. Tell me more. Yeah. Well, I take the 56 in part because... I think that putting 56 on those calves was a different animal than putting 50 on those kings, right? Like, I think the kings had it for the first half, and then they just got demoralized, and they didn't have anything left. Like, it's not like it's a huge margin between the two of them, but I thought the nature of the 56 of Jimmy was a lot more, I got to go take this, right? Yeah. Now, what amazes me about Steph, and it's been really clear like the last couple of years, is that 
the ability to take people's heart from 30 feet is crazy. Because normally what I feel like winds up happening with these sorts of dudes is you just grit it out and you get as close as you can. It's like, ah, you can't do nothing about it. Steph's you can't do nothing about it is different. And I used to feel like with, and I just always felt like this with teams that were built so much around three-point shooting, they're betting on getting hot. I don't feel like that's what happened with Steph in that 50. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a I got hot. It was I'm not losing today. And if you guys don't want to lose either, you could just ride with me. Mm -hmm. I I completely agree with that assessment. And I think it's almost like the later we get into Steph's career, the more you appreciate him. Because to me, there is clearly nobody other than Steph when it comes to the Warriors. And I don't mean that that Clay or Jordan or Draymond can't go off and have 21, whatever. But he is the beginning and the end in a way that I don't know was as clear over the course of the previous runs. Um, I'm not a huge advanced stat person, but I would love to know like literal mileage that he clocks in the course of a basketball game because of all of that off ball movement and momentum. But I, I have really enjoyed sort of the discourse this week. I've had some of my older producer friends be like, y'all got to stop with this stuff. The best guard is magic hands down. And it's a fun dialogue if you can avoid getting personal and all in your feelings about it. Um, but Steph has just really, really been impressive. This series, Bo, I, mm, I mm. Anthony Davis is the key. That's all I got. <laughs> all right. So first, on I have seen the Steph versus Magic discussions uh -huh. come up. And I would understand why people of a certain age would want to broach this discussion, right? Mm -hmm. Now, two things. One, if what makes you say it is putting up 50 points on the Sacramento Kings, we trip it, right? Like, that's not, if you thought it before that game, that's fine. Like, I didn't see, I think it was LeBron who said, like, I saw Steph Curry do what Steph Curry does, right? Like, this right. Is, that, that to me, yes, it was a game seven, but, I mean, look, I mean, shout out to the Kings. They were lighting that pipe. Everything was cool, but, <laughs> like, you know, like, let's not, let's not go too far in the way that we talk about this. Magic Johnson was a six foot nine play all five positions and i think the thing that gets lost magic johnson was a great athlete right them steps look funny and he didn't have like that <laughs> sick handle but when you six nine going end to end and doing all the things that magic did and lost in it for a lot of people is that in 91 that year they lost to the bulls that was basically the version of what steph curry is right now Right. Okay. Yeah, that's James Worthy, but that ain't James Worthy. That ain't the James mm -hmm. Worthy that you used to seeing like up and down the line. That's Sam Perkins, but that ain't a young Sam Perkins, right? Magic carried that team to the finals and then they had to go play Mike. Then Good Magic luck. came back after five years of not doing nothing and averaged something like 15, 6, and 7, just standing at the high post like an old man and getting everybody the ball. Like, y'all just don't get it. This Magic thing was something completely different. But this Steph thing, if they win this series against the Lakers, I still think LeBron James was a better player. But everything that Steph has done has been on LeBron's watch, right? Like these last nine years have been on LeBron's watch. These last eight years, they've been on LeBron's watch. There's a lot of wins over LeBron. And we can say that the Warriors had better players than the Cavs had, except I what I feel like I've learned through this time is we gave, we had, oh man, the Warriors got three, four Hall of Famers. Nah, them other dudes going to make the Hall of Fame because they played with Steph Curry. Klay Thompson is right. going to make the Hall of Fame because he played with Steph Curry. Draymond Green is going to make the Hall of Fame because he played with Steph Curry. Hey, Dennis Rodman made the Hall of Fame because he played with Isaiah Thomas, Dennis Rodman, and Michael Jordan. It happens like that. But that dude, Steph, I was a skeptic. Not like, oh, he's not an all-star, not like he's not a Hall of Famer, but the upper echelons people wanted to go to, I was kind of like, yeah. now I'm like, no, 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 no. He there, but we ain't got to put him up there with magic. Let's be easy. So, okay, so this and this is why I love having this conversation with folks that are just willing to discuss and not get in their feelings. I wasn't I wasn't present right for the peak of magic or or not even necessarily peak, but the years that you just mentioned. But what I will say as I'm listening to and respecting the dialogue, I get the versatility of magic. Essentially, he was probably I don't want to say first. I don't want to disrespect what happened, but what he did changed the expectations of that position. Right. You could argue yeah. that was your first positionless point guard utilitarian or maybe not first, but one right. that stands out in our history books. Right. But on the counter side, and maybe this is a little personal, Bo, as someone who wears multiple hats and sometimes feels like you only get paid for one. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. If doing the one thing Steph does, which is his ability to shoot the three and space the floor, if that singular thing is just as influential in terms of pulling the other nine bodies on the floor, are we looking at this versatility concept wrong? I think there's something to that. Um... The counterpoint that I would make is 
the one thing that Magic had, like, because he had a one thing, just like Steph has other things outside of his one in the shooting, right? Right. The best passer who has ever lived, right? Like, the I can't believe you were open sort of situation with mm-hmm. passing. Um, And then from there, if you need me to go get 40, being able to make the transition into going and getting 40. Also about Magic, something that does not get discussed enough. In 1982, when they won that championship, Maverick, Magic averaged 19, 9.5, and 2.5 and steals to lead the league, right? Like, and that, by the way, is while playing shooting guard, not playing point guard because they still had Norm Nixon. Like, there were things that Magic was able to do and consistently did that I think become easy to forget as the time goes on. But I agree with you. It is a very interesting discussion, and they are very different players. And I think the fact that Steph is even in a place where I hear this and I I disagree, but I'm not calling people ridiculous for it. Right, right. You know, I mean, again, terrific conversation, terrific talking point. I, I also, every time this comes up, I still scratch my head or almost do a double take because I don't even think of Steph as a point guard in the way that I clearly know that was part of and a huge part of Magic Johnson's legacy. Um, and I don't know if that's an insult or a compliment, but obviously you could very easily put him in the conversation of some of the greatest scores our league has, has had and not bad an eye. Yeah. Like I feel like with magic, magic and Isaiah mm-hmm. are the two point guards to have led their teams to like championships. I think Clyde Frazier also goes on this. Cause Clyde, Clyde Frazier is the big guard before you get yeah. to magic. But again, Clyde right. Frazier is six, five magic is six, nine. Like it's not mm-hmm. the same as I'm sure you know, this Clyde will make sure to tell you that the big 100%. guard starts uh, with Clyde in his Frazier. probably cow print. Uh, yes. Suit. <laughs> yes. Love that bad. Like, like that's the, I feel bad for the kids that only know Clyde is the dude in the crazy suits. Cause if you go back and look at them pictures of Clyde in the 70s suits, Clyde is the coolest dude to ever play NBA basketball. <laughs> look, I get plenty of compliments and I'm appreciative of them all. But the one that's on my Mount Rushmore is Clyde asking me if I sew because he wanted to know if I made my own clothes because he thought I always looked pretty good. <laughs> no, I don't sew, but thank you. I love the idea, though, that Clyde figured you must have made your clothes yourself. <laughs> you should ask him if he sews his clothes. And he, Oh, he's got a tailor. We've heard all about his yes. tailor, his guy. <laughs> I did something with SB Nation back when the restaurant was open off of 11th Avenue. Uh-huh. Clyde's wine and dine. And I did something with Clyde where we went through and we critiqued the draft fashion of oh that i know that was Japanese. hilarious oh it was great it was it was <laughs> it was great and the, the best moment of that for me with clyde where somebody was telling me about clyde used to have a car that didn't have white wall tires the whole wall was white like the whole tire and i asked him about it he was like yeah it's the gangster whites and he said you know you got to worry about me hitting them on the curb but pff, i just double parked <laughs> that is so Clyde. i love clyde he is truly a gem well, what I want to know about Clyde, and I know that we are definitely taking a divergence here, but it's but Clyde let's go. Frazier, it's great, right? Clyde is from the old Fourth Ward in Atlanta, over Auburn, mm-hmm. off, off Auburn Avenue. He went to Southern Illinois for college, but he was like Derek Jeter in the sense that he got to New York City and was immediately ready for everything that comes in New York. Like when I first, not this is before I moved here. One of my buddies moved here many years ago, and he was like, "Look, here's what you got to understand about New York." It's probably going to take you about a year, year and a half just to get your gear right, right? Like if you're going to be out and in New York to get, you're going to take that much time to get enough clothes that are worthy of being worn in the places that you go, right? Like that's that's the math if you're going to be somebody in New York is those kinds of things. Clyde Frazier, day one, seemed to get there and be like, nope, I am ready for all that comes with this city. He's I've heard him talk about this a little bit in terms of being a young man that was always dressed to the nines. Right. Like Mm -hmm. he he. I don't want to I know that he's talked about the transition when he started to get money in terms of being able to uh, to score more stuff. But it's almost like that historic thing. Like you might be able to take a ton of stuff away from me because of the society at the time he was coming up in the South. But what you can't take away is the pride in how I show up and how I dress. And so you get a little money and you take it on. Even more so. Now, he just happened to have a great sense of fashion, or at least fashion that stands out for sure. Um, but it's it's been really cool because as gaudy as some of his ensembles may be, depending on who you are, it's something that he is so deliberate and mindful of, 
right? And and I think when you, like you said, when you have the chance to sit and talk to him, the clothes literally tell a story. And he is very proud of where he's from in Atlanta. Like we sent our team down when he had the recreation center that was renamed after him. Like he's so proud of all that basketball has afforded him. Like we were on air that night that, um, I'm about to blank on his name, but he recently passed away. And Clyde was literally shook. Willis Reed. Like Willis Reed, there you go. He's such... He's, it's this incredible package, but he is truly such a relatable guy. Like, it, it's almost a weird juxtaposition because we got so many people that think, you know, they don't think whatever. But that's not Clyde. Yeah, now, we is, we, 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 we bounce right back. One, one last thing on the Dick stuff. I have to say this. I don't know if you be seeing these because you at the games. Uh-oh. So for those of you who don't live in New York, John Starks owns a Kia dealership. The Kia commercial. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. So John Starks owns a Kia, deal- Kia dealership and it is for John Starks Kia and I saw John Starks Tuesday night. He's courtside. Like, it's good to see the Marcus Canby was there, right? Like, it was good to see, you know, old era Knicks that were there. But see, the thing is, if you go have John Starks Kia, the whole reason to go there is because it's John Starks. And if you go and do a commercial for John Starks Kia, John Starks has to be in the commercial Except John Starks is the man who gave us the classic line, did this, do this, did this. And it is a commercial sponsored by did this, do this, did this. And a commercial where apparently they ain't cut no deal with Dolan. So he can't say Knicks. So it's, you know, as excited as I am about our New York basketball <laughs> team. And I'm just I'm like. picking this commercial apart. I'm not taking it apart. I'm just telling you exactly what the commercial is. And I just want to know how beloved John Starks is that people are like, yo, I'm going to go get my Kia from John Starks. I, you know, again, I, I can't answer that, but I, the commercial <laughs> makes me giggle every time I see it because the last line is my favorite. Stand tall. I don't know yes. quite how that tracks with buying cars, but yes, indeed, stand tall all the time. Starks is great. Hanging out and doing alumni events with those guys. And I think this is part of the contagiousness that we talked about with Knicks fans. Like, it's not like a weird reverence, but like Knicks fans know who all these guys are. And like they are thrilled to see them wherever we are, no matter what they're doing. And it's it's so cool. I've and I'm not even with John that much, but when I'm around him, everybody talks about that dunk, right? Like you can't yeah. be with Starks and not a fan come and talk about that dunk and ask for a picture. So it's been cool. I was I definitely have seen more of those commercials now that we've gotten to the playoffs. So yes. shout out the placement. <laughs> yes. My my favorite John Starks moment in my life is uh we had him on Highly Questionable back when I did that show. And uh-huh. before we solved the mystery, we were dedicated to figuring out who Biggie's I Got a Story to Tell was about. Right. Mm. And it was widely believed the two names that you heard the most were John Starks and Hubert Davis. Now, number one. My view always was Hubert Davis and Biggie Smalls are not, I repeat, not dealing with the same women. They are not going to the same. That's not, that's not, that's just not. Doesn't I mean, track. It, Doesn't I track. mean, just saying, if you saw Hubert's introductory press conference in North Carolina, you know damn well that Hubert and Biggie was not going about this the same way, right? But we, we asked John Starks about it. And the best part was John Starks being like, I mean, I ain't 6'5". And that is the first time that undersized John Starks has ever been happy to not be 6'5". Starks is hysterical. That's a good dude right there. I mean, so many of the alums are great. That's great. Highly questionable. What a show. What a good, that was good reporting, um, uh, Bo. <laughs> oh, no, we got it. In there. Like, we actually no, got it. That was the wildest day. The day that we actually got it. And Fat Joe had the nerve to be mad at us. I'm like, you the one that was telling? <laughs> what are you talking about? Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. And spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. 
Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. On the basketball, we got into a little bit with this Warriors-Lakers series, and I'm with you to a degree about not being sure what's going to happen, and I think you're correct about Anthony Davis in that the Warriors don't have anybody that can guard him. Like, mm-hmm. he should go for 30 a night. I found it disappointing that he only went for 10 in that second half after dominating like he did going for the 20 in the first. Like, I was texting with a buddy of mine who was like, to win this series, Anthony Davis needs to dominate. Therefore, the Warriors will win in five or six. And this was a Lakers fan. And mm-hmm. then halfway through, I was like, he heard you talking about him. He heard us talking about him. And he had one of those games where he just decided to turn it on. And that's the biggest reason why the Lakers won that game. It's just about how sustainable that is. And I, so the more we talk about the, this, this, this morning and digest it, Bo, not only do I think that he has to have those type of numbers, but he's got to do it sooner rather than later. If this thing goes seven, and I'm not even talking purely off of home court advantage, but if this thing goes seven, I think it might be too late because Steph and company, but mostly Steph, is going to be poised to respond. So if they, if the Lakers could do it in six and he can give you, I don't know that the numbers have to be as gaudy, but the focus and the willingness to be physical has to be there. I think he's got to have three more games like that in the next five, or it's going to be too late. Yeah, it's this to me has been really about, this is the season that Anthony Davis had to fully realize this is his team. Cause that LeBron James has moments where he looks like the old LeBron James, but it ain't. Then he shoots one of eight from three. Well, yeah, I think that foot is just so much more messed up than we are giving it credit for being. And he can jump off his right foot with ease, and that's when he can do the things that are unlike, you know, that still look like LeBron James. But that other one, he can't get off on. And I think I saw Tim Legler saying, expect to see them treat him like Tony Allen, right? Like our Draymond Mm -hmm. Green type, where you're just Mm -hmm. like, all right, homie, you got the shots. You go ahead and take it. And so if they're going to do it, it has to be him at the lead. But after him, when you start getting to like the Russells and the Reeves, and, you know, the dudes down the line, I feel like their secondary players, at the very least, are playing better than the Warriors ones, including the ones from the Warriors whose names you know. Yes, I'm looking at Klay Thompson. Uh, there's so It's so much to unpack in this series. Here's my thing with Klay. He's due for one, right? He just has to be solid. And as much as we're dissecting this game, this was still a three-point game, right? Jordan Poole temporarily lost his mind. If he, if I continue to argue, if he takes a step forward and is a, in his range, we're not talking about that shot the way we are this morning. And so all these things considered, that first game was still a three-point game. Now, the guy that I think is going to have to get back to finals form if you're the Warriors is Andrew Wiggins. He's your most versatile defender. He came up huge on the glass last year in that closeout game, in the last two games of that Boston Celtics series in the finals. Now, remember, he's, this is still his first real run back at the season, having missed two months or whatever it is. So I think he's still playing himself into form. But I'm kind of with you. When you look at the role players, it feels like the Lakers supporting cast clearly understands the assignment and are far less likely to go rogue, where I wonder, as much as we want to get on pool, he's sort of been empowered to do stuff like that. So when he did it at the wrong time, that's on y'all. They paid him $30 million. I'm saying. <laughs> I'm, y'all have talked about needing his offense. Y'all have supported this wild shot taking. Like, I mean, be better. You're an NBA player in terms of the decision right there. But, like, this is your baby that you spoiled. And here, here they are. He was, pl- I mean, he was playing well. And while he was very far, he was, in fact, open. It was just a matter, I think, for a lot of people. If all we got left, if we got eight seconds left, we can probably get a better shot than this one. But nope, I woke up and I saw the play and I was like, "Up, oh, let me look up the Carlton memes. And they were everywhere. They were, <laughs> everywhere. They were, they were all there. And it was so funny because yesterday before I was tweeting about um, the Dylan Brooks situation. And I was like, the thing about a guy like Dylan Brooks is you, confidence gets you to the league. Self-awareness keeps you there. And people mm. are like, yeah, well, that's the thing about LeBron and Steph is all the guys around him know what their roles are. And I was like, Jordan Poole has no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and then that night, Jordan Poole went out there and was like, nah, for real. I don't know what you're talking about. But you don't have that level of empower Jordan Poole if you still had a pre-injury version of Klay Thompson, which they don't have. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. quietly, I can make the argument 
that starting next season, the Warriors might have the three most overpaid players in the NBA. Klay Thompson, who's making $40 Mm -hmm. million to be out there basically as the replacement player. Like, you go look at all the the bigger numbers out there. Yeah, He's not, I mean, if you're being, he's just Klay Thompson and we all like him. But, Mm -hmm. and the shot still looks great, but he hasn't been good, right? Um, Andrew Wiggins still out here making $30 million a year. And the only difference between Andrew Wiggins in Minnesota and Andrew Wiggins with the Warriors is you don't expect as much out of him. So you put him in as a role player, but he's a $30 million role player. And then Jordan Poole's going to be making $30-something million a year. That Poole contract is – when they did it, I was like, what? Huh? <laughs> okay, sure. I see why uh, Dre Ball was hot. Hello? Um, got dag, bro. Now, I think, obviously, if they get a chance to run it back this season and can pull it off, that conversation feels very different. But Lacob is out. Like, this is the end of his contract. I'm told that the Wizards are heavily pursuing him, which I think I love if we okay, get well, the Wizards back on track. I mean, Myers. Yeah, yeah, my bad. Yeah, general manager. Um, so I, I think everything's about to change. Like, it feels like this thing has run its course, and then you're you're right. They'll be looking at their payroll like, all right, what are we doing? Yeah. And by the way, an eight-year course is a hell of a it's course. It's a great course. I'm not knocking it at all. No, no, no. Not knocking it at all. But And, and I think that's also why this playoff run has been very interesting because – do you then adopt sort of the Pat Riley mindset where he doesn't necessarily believe in rebuilding, yes. right? Because Steph is playing so great. I do wonder, and this kind of came up in the conversation about Memphis as well, in terms of do they have enough there to hold on to as far as a core. I do wonder what the appeal of some of these places is for whatever free agents are. And I know that we're not super thrilled about this free agency class, but like how appealing is it to go and play with Steph? for a guy that would allow this team to still perhaps compete and you trust Kerr and the Warriors system that even if we look a little maniacal during the course of the regular season, when it matters, we're going to be in a position. Yeah, the question for me is what are they going to do with Draymond Green? Because everything seemed to spell out that he was going to leave. And, I mean, Phoenix is right there. Like, I think most of us would be shocked if he did not wind up on the team that is now owned by a former Michigan State player Mm -hmm. that desperately needs either a playable three or a four who allows Kevin Durant to go and play three, right? Like, I think Mm -hmm. that's where he winds up. But, man, they need another player right now down there in Phoenix because it it feels like they about to get walked out of there by security. Like, it is, especially with Chris Paul being hurt, but even before it, they just don't have literally enough players. Like, they don't have enough dudes to run out there because Kevin Durant's their only playable small forward. Yeah. And look, as much as this is about Phoenix's depth or lack thereof and now the Chris Paul injury, nobody has given the Nuggets the respect oh, that am. they deserve. Oh, oh I am. You are? I Come am. on, let me get it. Let me get it. Somebody, <laughs> oh, no. somebody talk to me about these Nuggets. They've been the best team in this postseason. To me, they have been the only team that has looked like a champion. Um, Mm -hmm. And the moment it switched for me, I've talked about this on here, but it was the end of game four against Minnesota, a game that they lost. But you may remember this. They were down by about 13, and then they just had a run where they were like, okay, enough of this. Porter, three. Porter, three. Murray, three. Jokic, I'm going to cave Rudy's chest in and push him (laughs) all the way under the basket. And then what are you going to do? But again, it wasn't like it felt like they got hot. It felt like they just stopped around. And then they went down there and they got it done. And so in that first game against Phoenix, nobody, I don't think, this postseason has looked as good as Denver did in game one. And then in that next game where they weren't getting buckets, they're still in it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. And I think the conversation took a weird twist with the whole MVP thing, right? But that aside, what Jokic does, and I was actually thinking about this the other day. Should we get a collision course between the Warriors and the Nuggets? To me... What Jokic does is equally as unique as what Steph does. Now, now Steph sustained greatness over a long period of time. Jokic got a lot of catching up to do for it to have that magnitude in our history books. But just looking at what we've seen this regular season and if those two teams could collide, would collide, you got to figure out how to guard Steph. But you also, in my mind, have to figure out how to guard Jokic. Draymond might be uniquely qualified to guard Jokic, but he still has a size advantage on him. And he is just so cerebral, my playing basketball with your dad, your big cousin, somebody that you just will not rush, right? So I, I I think the Nuggets have not gotten their credit. They've proven to have scoring coming off their bench. They've got guys that are willing to defend and sell out their bodies. And Jamal Murray back to form, that's something that we haven't seen since the bubble. The way I've explained this to people about Denver's roster that I think is easy to ignore. 
Aaron Gordon, I want to say, was the number five pick in the draft his year. Yes, he was. Mm -hmm. Or the fifth. Okay. He was not a guy who could be your best player. But we never thought of him as a bust as the number five pick in the draft, right? We never thought of him as being a disappointment as the number five pick in the draft. And he is their fourth best player. Right? Like, that's a that's a squad, guys. Mm-hmm. They got those dudes. And so, to me, if you're going to beat the Nuggets, you're going to beat them with Jokic in a high pick and roll, and you can get the ball to the big man at 15 and then force Jokic to figure out what to do. De- DeAndre Ayton can't do that, right? Right. I don't think Kevon Looney can do that. And that then leads the question to me about, like, what exactly, how exactly are you going to beat them? Because the other thing I like about Jokic this postseason is, Rather than trying to do more because it's the playoffs, I feel like he's taking it to a do less place, but a good do less place. What am I going to do? Bang people. I'm going to get yeah. a lot of boards and I'm just going to hit people in the chest over Keep and over it real again. Simple. And I'm yeah. going to take this incredibly frustrating jumper where I don't jump in your seven foot <laughs> ass. Obviously, Jokic can't see the basket and it just goes in. You can't block it. You can't do anything about it. Like, you know, I can't see how the mad basket, would you bro. be? No, man, I'm just saying, he's not jumping. He's just looking straight ahead. It's these really tall dudes with their arms up. I know he can't see the basket, but he know where it's at. And that's all oh, that matters. Man. He's got that thing, that rhythm down. That's all of <laughs> 10,000 hours just shooting that thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, listen, I, I get it. And I think, what, what do I think would be the better matchup if Denver advances of the Lakers and the Warriors? Hmm. I, oh, I, I think. I think the Lakers caused them was, many more problems. I was about to say, I think it would be the Lakers. But again, like we go back to what has been the Achilles heel of the Lakers through this postseason and just sort of this season is, is what they look like consistently, right? Yes. If there's truth to LeBron's foot not being quite right, which I agree with you, I believe there is, like that doesn't get easier with more games and tougher competition. And so whatever the holes are, like part of success is a little bit of luck. Last year, Steph misses a month before the postseason. They go off to win, go on to win it, he's fresh and unstoppable. Like, part of this thing is a little bit of luck. And so I just have been really impressed with the way that the Nuggets have continued to play good basketball because the questions were, are they a regular season team? So far, they're not. They're the real deal. And I just yeah. can't get enough of that Kevin Durant sound post-game one. Am I surprised? Hell no. They're the number one <laughs> team for a reason. They got the two-time MVP. My favorite line was at the end, though, because he sound real PG. We all right, though. <laughs> <laughs> Can we have a somewhat uncomfortable Kevin Durant discussion? Uh Uh-oh, let's do it. He's looked these two games not terribly dissimilar to how he looked in those games against, was it Milwaukee last year? When they Mm -hmm. lost in the first round? Boston, Boston, yeah. When they Mm -hmm. lost in the first round, where he's still excellent, but even in game one in this, where he looked incredible except for the seven times that he gave the ball away. Um, he didn't look like a guy in the fourth quarter in game two that you could lean on to get you buckets. And to be fair to him, it's because they leaned on him and Devin Booker to do every single thing. But I think the way that we looked at the idea of Kevin Durant going to the Suns, and we're like, oh, now the Suns have Kevin Durant. He's the best player left in the league. No, he's not. He's not. He's still really, really, really good. But Mm -hmm. he's not the best player in this series. And I don't know if he'll consistently be the best player on the Suns because that might be Devin Booker. Um, a little uncomfortable, but I actually brought that point up against the Clippers in the versus the Phoenix Suns potentially. Now, obviously, the Clippers injury injuries you you hate it as a basketball fan. You certainly hate it for the Clippers organization, but they technically had the personnel to guard KD similar to what we saw Boston do last year. It was a whole bunch of physicality. It was bothering him getting in his space. When Kawhi is on the floor, still one of the best defenders in the game. Um, I really like what Terrence Mann brings. Brings to that squad as well. Now, we didn't see it, but I do think that that blueprint is out there. And as cerebral and beautiful as KD's game is, he's still only human. Yeah. And I go back to the series where he almost put the Nets over the Milwaukee Bucks. That, I I believe that one went seven. But for it to be that close and come up short, he still had two plus 45-point performances over the course of that and averaged something stupid like 34 over the course of the whole thing, right? And so how long can you continue to give and give and give? And we see now that injury history is becoming partly a thing. It's only, what, 15 games for them as an entire unit? Right. I just, I feel you. And and I think the beauty of his game is I think it can age well. I don't know what his regimen is in terms of his body. We hear so much about Steph and, and KD, and, I mean, not KD, LeBron, how they take care of their bodies. 
But this is now entering a different sort of toll in my mind. I do think we're going to get a KD game for sure. That I, I don't think they're going to get swept in this particular series. But I think that's a fair point to bring up because he's not getting any notable rest over the course of this game, over this course of these games they're in this playing, series. They're playing like 45 minutes a game. I mean, here, and they have to. Yeah, I think they combined for 89 in game two. And I think at this point, Kevin Durant is upper echelon all-star good. But the Kevin Durant that we think of is upper echelon all-time good. You know, yeah. like there's there's a difference between those two things. I don't and think even, but Bo, even even if you got all time KD, like the Nuggets are rolling, yes, and, and they are deep, right? And so, like this to this conversation to me is less about what version of KD we got and just pure roster construction. Like you open the conversation, Phoenix literally just doesn't have enough bodies, and then how the Nuggets are able to come at you in waves. Now, are they going to shoot the three as well as they did in game one throughout this, the course of this series? Probably not. But that's okay because they also can get to the rim. They also can rebound and they also can defend. Like, they got other options. Yeah. Now, we, we, we coming toward the end. I want to talk about the Celtics because I truly believe that losing that game to the Sixers, I don't care how well James Harden played. I just thought that was outright embarrassing. Like, that was not that, – that's not a game you're supposed to lose with Embiid not in there. Um – but as much as we talk about the Lakers' inconsistency, it's kind of amazing to look back last year at Boston and to think that such an inconsistent team could have made the finals. Because we forget, if Jimmy Butler makes that three that he walked into at the end of Game 7 against Boston, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's one of the greatest collapses in the history of the postseason, what happened at the end of that game. And they still seem so capable of that. And I remember last year when we had all the talk about, boy, Ime, what a great coach. And I think there were a lot of great things about him, but that team kept falling apart all the time, building these leads, losing these leads, even on his watch. Now they got a new coach, and the same thing happens, and there's more criticism of Missoula because people felt so good about Udoka as a coach. But what if the problem is just the dudes? I think that is 100% a fair and astute observation. Uh, I had... I had a cu- I've had a couple Boston national games this year, but I had them for the Knicks locally. The Knicks won in overtime, I believe, right? And granted, the Knicks were trying to turn were turn a corner at that point. They've proven to be a solid team this particular season. But I even remember as local broadcast for the Knicks looking like, what in the world? Down the stretch in terms of the Celtics organization. And I know in Boston, part of it was Joe Mazzu doesn't call timeouts late. Okay, cool. That seems to be an easy scapegoat. But to me, Marcus Smart, what are you doing on that last play? Malcolm Brogdon, what are you doing on that last play? Like, these are not things to me that you look to coaching. These are things you look to guys that made it to a finals last year and just need to be smarter and a little bit more uh, dedicated to winning down the stretch in terms of competing uh, down the stretch. And so I I don't know what's going to happen. I think that game very well may cost Boston the series. I picked Boston going in, and I still think of Joel Embiid doesn't play, they definitely should win. But there's a world in which that game easily costs them that series. Well, I want to ask you this question as a basketball player. Those of you who don't know, Monica, former All-Big East player at Georgetown. <laughs> um, but one thing that the physical differences of men's and women's basketball creates, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, women's basketball involves a lot fewer crazy shots because mm-hmm. the odds of the crazy shots are a lot lower. And I feel like particularly with Tatum, but overall with the Celtics, they got a bunch of dudes who want to take a bunch of hard shots. Like, if it's time to go get a bucket, Jason Tatum is trying to hit you for a 26-foot step back and not go get an easy shot. And I wonder how much of that is responsible for some of their wild fluctuations. Because I just look at them like, there's got to be easier shots you guys can get. I think that's part of it, but I also think they fall asleep defensively. I'm like, what are y'all doing? We're just What are we doing? Did you forget who the go-to player is on the other side? To your question about men's and women's basketball, I would agree. And now we have Caitlin Clark, who is, like, putting yes. all of that <laughs> on, like, notice that she may be changing the game. They ain't crazy when a, she take them, though. Hello? <laughs> Parking lot, okay? Um, I don't know. And now, now you got me thinking macro. Outside of your two-point specialist, who's left in the playoff, Jimmy Butler, Jalen Brunson, Devin Booker. Um, the mid-range guys, KD and Book, are mid-range killers. I think a lot of guys settle for hard shots for yeah. whatever reason, whether they buy into analytics or not. Jason, in particular, I don't, I don't know him well enough and haven't had enough of conversations to kind of assess like where he goes when the moments get tight. Like there are some guys you just know, 
they might not shoot the ball and we might be having a conversation about the right pass or not, but like there is this, I don't know, you can't quite quantify it, but they know they're the guy late. I don't know if it's because you got Jalen and Jason. I don't know if it's because Marcus is the most vocal in terms of the Celtics dynamic, but it doesn't seem like games on the line go here. Yeah, this I got a skepticism of them Kobe system guys. Right. All the Mamba, okay. all the Mamba mentality guys. Like I feel like playing like Kobe's kind of like playing like Brett Favre. You gotta be you you gotta be that dude to play like that. Like Kobe's great gift is his ability to make hard shots. Yeah. That's the biggest one. And if you are playing your game, because Kobe's thing, you tell all these guys, take the shot you want. Don't take the shot they give you, which, quite honestly, really bad advice. <laughs> really, really, really bad advice. But these guys take it, you know? And that's what I look at when I look at Tatum. He wants to shoot those, those shots from so far. Jalen Brown shooting all those threes and not really making all of those threes. And I just look at them like, you guys are going to have to figure out a way to get easy buckets. Because say what you want about Harden or Embiid, they can go get easy buckets, right? Easy Whether it's buckets, getting to the yeah. line or whatever it is. Like, we need a bucket right quick. We can go get one. I just don't feel like the Celtics have a guy that can just decide to go get a bucket. And I think that literally every other team in the playoffs, like even LeBron James from time to time can still be like, yo, I'm going to go get you a bucket right quick. I feel like the Celtics are the only team that doesn't really have that. Mm, let me think. That's a, Yeah. Of the, of the teams that are left? Yeah. it was. I mean, the Knicks is sort of fluctuates. Jalen has proven to be that guy. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's a wow. That's an incredible observation on the Celtics. I, I just, I don't know. I, and maybe I'm a little bit of a hopeless romantic in terms of you know teams that have never had their chance to get through and like whatever. And we know the history in Philly over the last two postseasons. But the Celtics, they just they got to lock in, and I'm not sure what that's about. But I think it's one of those things that you can't quantify. As much as Kobe was Kobe, either you got that killer or not, right? right. Like. If Kobe, Kobe is not going to make it harder than it had to be. Right. And he wants the ball in the moment. Like, I just, I don't, and I don't know what the play call the other night was, but if if Kobe's on that team in the uniform of Jason Tatum, there's no way that ball is inbounded to Marcus Smart. That's just not how it works. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, it's that's a great observation. If you're going to put, if you're going to be in the Kobe system, like, you got to put on that entirely. And that is not streaking away from the moment. That is high basketball IQ in the moment and being willing to go get it done. Yeah, I just... I think Tatum is very good, but not as good as we got ourselves hyped up about. Though, to be fair, last year he was really hurt in the postseason. He was really and played good. really, you know, really well really in spite of it. Jalen Brown's the one to me where I'm like, ooh, I see counting stats. I spy lots of points. I'm not sure what else we're getting here other than lots of points. He's a, He was a really good defender points last year through the, through the finals run. He definitely had a couple of bounce back games. You could see in the offseason where he went and worked on his handle, but we're going to see how that plays out through the rest of the, the playoffs. I, I, I Again, I just kind of come back to that one maybe probably has run its course. And I can remember having the conversation with Udoka last year. He's like, that's ridiculous. You know how many teams would want to have these two guys on their roster? Yeah, I hear you. And last year, okay, y'all proved us wrong in this finals run. But if it doesn't work out this year, like, what are we doing? And plus, he's trying to get paid. Yes, he is. Like, it's going to get awkward on that mm -hmm. one. And look, you're not big on the advanced stats. Don't blame me. I can just tell you this. Jalen Brown's at, like, 0 .100 win shares per 48 minutes. To put that in context, like, MVP level is, like, 250, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's when you like when you really talk about MVP level. But if you're using 30% of the possessions and you're only getting up to 100, that's bad, bad, bad news. That's like, that good. is an inefficient brand of basketball, which is wild for a guy who shoots, you know, all the shooting numbers are good enough, right? He doesn't shoot well enough from three, but, you know, the numbers are not terrible everywhere else. It implies that all he's doing for you is getting buckets. Yeah. And your number two guy, if Jason Tatum is just go get bucket guy, and Jalen Brown's out there, like, for one, I think this is the difference in the way I look at Jalen Brown now versus the way we did before. It all looks different when you're shooting 40% from three than when you're shooting 33% mm -hmm. from three. Mm -hmm. And that's what he's slipped to while shooting seven a game. Mm -hmm. It's bad news. Not a great slide. And, no, and if they don't, and at what point, I think you raised the question, though, like, I don't know if it's tear it all down, but... At what point when you have a core that's now been together for six years and there have been changes, they had the Kyrie experiment, they had all kinds of things that come up. But there is the question, at what point where you look around and you're like, 
I think we need to go about doing this a little bit differently. I, I think we're I think that you're there, right? And we talk we go back to the Warriors, like that run, that same core, the great stories from last year of them sitting in the same spots on the team playing, like that is such an anomaly. You don't get that in the league anymore. And and it's okay. Like it it's okay. So I to me, Brad Stevens, that whole crew, they seem to be there. I don't know much about Jalen or Jason's personal life outside of us seeing Deuce, but like I do wonder, we have these conversations about these guys as basketball entities, but it doesn't, just from outside looking in in terms of what I've heard Jalen speak on, maybe he just needs a whole fresh start, personal, professional, the whole bit, and out of Boston. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm willing to entertain all of that in terms of this thing has just run its course. Boy, I can't wait to hear his interviews after he leaves. So, Jalen, what did you really think about Boston while you were living there? His third eye. Probably done seen it all, boy. Because mm. that's for people who don't realize he 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 Kyrie system. Like 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 they traded mm. Kyrie, but Kyrie was still there. Mm. Mm. A little a little more team oriented. I was I would suppose. Yes, yes, but. yes team oriented. But this is the man that saw the black Israelites and thought they was the cues. And I bet you was more excited when he found out it was the black Israelites than he would have been when he thought it was the Q's. Bro, let these people in their ideologies. <laughs> That's Monica McNutt. You're going to see her all over the place during this postseason. They even got her hosting get up every now Woo. and then. You know what I'm there saying? Again. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate you greatly, neighbor. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for having me. No problem. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. We do this three times a week. Dan Stancic, Adi Khan, and Parker Owens handling everything behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. Remember, follow The Right Time. Rate us. Review us. Give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.